This is Steve Balton. You are tuned into My Turning Point, where this week I'm joined by one of the great songwriters in music today, and really of the last 30 years, the brilliant Amy Mann. Really enjoyed talking with her and having her on the show to discuss her work on the Magnolia soundtrack, her brilliant new album, which actually started out to be the music for a stage play, and how she got very sick during COVID. Not with COVID, but how that affected her music and how for a while she lost her hearing. So really interesting and deep conversation with Amy Mann. Hope you enjoy this as much as we did. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? I am doing well. Thanks. Uh, so where are you these days? Where's home base? Give me two seconds, brother. Los Angeles. Nice. All right. I'm down in Long Beach and it is beautifully overcast and gray and gloomy. How is it there? It's exactly the same. Yeah. See, that's the best. I love it. I love this August gloom. Yeah, I know. Who knew September gloom is a new thing? Uh, well, you know, I mean, <laughs> I'm sure you, as I do, have a lot of friends on the East Coast, I mean, and have been watching and everything is the new thing. And, you know, this really fucked up new world order. So, Yeah, that's, it's terrifying. The, uh, the subway flooding pictures are really horrible. Uh, all of it is. And then, you know, Bonnaroo being canceled literally the weekend of. And yeah, it's crazy times. But so, you know, I guess we should get used to the gloom and all this. But I enjoy it. So how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing okay. You know, it's normal pandemic <laughs> Ups and downs. <laughs> well, now, it's funny. Was this album a pandemic album? No. This album was actually done, was finished right before the pandemic started. Uh, but because, you know, because of the pandemic, I think um, a lot of vinyl pressing plants had uh, stopped producing for, for a while. So, um Now they're starting up, but there's a huge demand for vinyl, so it's just hard to get a record out. Yeah, no, it's a big backup. Well, and also, obviously, I'm familiar with the story that you know this was actually originally intended to be for a stage play. But now, yeah. how much did the the music on this album, which is absolutely beautiful, by the way, evolve from what was intended to be the score for Girl Interrupted to Queens of the Summer Hotel? Um, well, I. So when, when we met, the producers had put this team together, um, director, writer, and, and me, and um, they wanted it to be specifically based on the book, um, not the movie. So, so I read the book and I just started writing songs. And I, I think that, you know, I, to be honest, I, I actually don't know where, uh, where in the process the, the play is. Um, I think that the director or, or the writer and director at some point decided they didn't w really want to have like a musical musical. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, I had sort of written songs w with that in mind. And, and so 
you know, because of the pandemic, um, there's not like a lot of workshops and productions and, and that kind of thing. So I'm not really sure what, what stage it's, it's in or, or will be in at the, you know, at the end of the day. But, uh, you know, I feel like my job was to generate songs and, uh, you know, they're free to use whatever songs in whatever way they want to. So this is so fascinating to me because, you know, for you, we'll talk about, you know, writing to fit a, a play and an existing format. And the reason I ask it's fascinating to me is because you are the benchmark for soundtracks to me. I, I discuss with this artist all the time who want to create, who want to work with directors. Mm-hmm. And to me, Magnolia is the benchmark for a collaboration between an artist and a director. And so you really kind of know this better than most everybody else who does this with, you know, the exception of at this point, Trent Reznor, Danny Elfman, a couple of people who have that regular relationship. Yeah. Well, I think the Magnolia thing was more a happy accident because we were just, you know, we were close friends and we were on the same page about the kinds of things we were writing about. Um, So, you know, it was like, writing in in this parallel way uh taking a taking a book which is you know a, like a pre-existing thing with its own with its own history and its own you know mythology almost um and writing songs for that i don't know you know i mean it's it's interesting to me because the what's interesting about it is where uh, to find out where you intersect, but to sort of keep it, you know, keep it intact as its as its own thing, as it was intended in the book. Yeah, so it's interesting when you, you know, the other thing that I find fascinating about this from the writing standpoint is good writing is often subconscious and leads you in a direction. So, mm-hmm. and especially when you're coming from a book, were there things that go back and, because of course you're writing, you know, you're reading the book, it influences you, you're aware of it. But were there things then that when you went back and listened to Queens of the Summer Hotel that really surprised you? Well, just that um, because, you know, at the, at the point where I decided I would record these songs for my own record, of course, I had not intended any of these songs to be songs that I sang. And, you know, there's a, there's a certain freedom in writing for the theater. You don't have to you know, you, you could stop time, you, you know, you can change tempos, you can change keys, you can sort of do whatever you want. Um, so I, I think listening back to it, it, it was surprising to hear uh, how different it was from my, from my other music, although not surprising because it was written for a totally different reason. But, but you know, once I had my own voice on it, um, it, it really did sort of underscore how how different it was that's interesting for you i mean trying to think of uh you know i mean were there things that in particular stood out to you in terms of being different and obviously it's a very lush record with the orchestra and everything but i mean it's funny if i listen to it from a fan standpoint it is still very distinctly amy man so what were the things that to you stood out to you as being most different the I think probably probably more musical things and 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 you know there are songs that have 
a very specific point of view. They're supposed to be sung by specific characters. But once again, like you try to sort of feel like where, you know, where can I intersect with this character or where can I, you know, what can I find in this situation that, that interests me or, you know, like what's an approach that interests me. Um, But musically the, you know, changing, changing tempos, um, uh, changing time signature kind of thing. Uh, I use a lot of sort of seventh chords and diminished chords in a way that I, you know, virtually never do because I usually write on guitar. So like, honestly, it's just harder to play. Like I can't play a seventh chord on a, on a major seventh chord on the guitar. Um, so, uh, you know, and I'd written all these songs on, on piano. Uh, so it's just that, you know, those kind of things like, and maybe they don't, uh, yeah, maybe they're not as, as obvious. I mean, it's, it's always more obvious to you when you're the one who does it. Well, I mean, yeah, that makes sense. Obviously you're going to be more familiar with it. And as every artist is more, critical but so then that's interesting too are there things that you well all right there's gonna be a two-part question and before we come on to the live dates because i know you're actually playing here in la next week at the greek theater but before we come on to that then this is always interesting as well because you say it's very different and this is something i talked about with so many artists during the pandemic it's funny you started off by saying the pandemic ups and downs and look from an artistic standpoint it absolutely revolutionized things for everybody because whether you were an artist like a John Bon Jovi I talked to who you know would have a big tour scheduled and mm-hmm. all of a sudden there's no tour so it's like well shit now I got more time I'm gonna get to add songs to my record mm-hmm. or whether it's you know David Guetta or Lucas Nelson who are spending family time it changed everything for everybody so for you yeah. what were the biggest changes that you found during this time that you can then apply to your music going forward. And this, of course, ties in with Queens of the Summer Hotel because with this album, as you say, it is different than anything you've done before. So are there things from this record and that you've experienced in the last year that you're looking forward to taking into your music going forward? Uh, I, You know, I, <laughs> that's a really hard question to answer. And here's why. I... I got really sick this year and I had like, there was like a neurological condition that was diagnosed as vestibular migraine, which is just like a way of saying you're dizzy and sick all the time. And we don't know why. Um, And I, I had a lot of, uh, I had a lot of weird symptoms, you know, like the neurological stuff, like, you know, migraine stuff is, it means your nervous system is very reactive. So all sensory input becomes exaggerated or distorted. Like looking at a computer screen or my phone would, the light would make me sick and listening to music um, was uh, the sound was distorted. So I couldn't listen. So I couldn't listen to music or engage with music at all. So, so I had a solid year Cause that started last, last August. And it's only been like the last two months that I've felt kind of normal. And to be honest, I wasn't going to do these shows, but my manager just kind of went ahead and confirmed the shows anyways, <laughs> <laughs> like kind of hoping I would get better by that, by that time. So, um, and I do feel better, but I think my, I don't know. I was like, I honestly cannot tell you what my relationship with music is right at this point. I like, the hear, you know, my hearing stuff is, is not as bad, but it's really, I, you know, I'm just in a state of like, thank God I can 
play a little and listen to music without it sounding. I mean, it sounded like a digital distortion. So uh, like on everything, including my own music. So, um, you know, fortunately all the mixes had been done. Uh, but I, you know, for mastering, I couldn't listen to it. I had to, you know, just ha have other people listen to it and tell me what they were hearing. Um, so that is utterly fascinating. And, and it's interesting for you then, do you feel like now that you are feeling better and you're able to sort of ease back into music? Cause like you say, you couldn't really listen to the masters and you weren't doing the shows. Has it changed your, it's funny, you say you don't necessarily know what your relationship is with music, but has it changed your appreciation for music? Because when you go through something like that and you can't experience something for a year, especially something that has been such a crucial point of your life for so long, yeah. does it change your relationship in terms of now it makes you appreciate it so much more because it was almost gone? Yeah, I mean, definitely. You know, any kind, any time... You know, when I'm practicing any time that I, that it doesn't sort of trigger off a, a whole bunch of tinnitus or whatever, um, is, uh, you know, is a plus. Like, you know, like literally just listening to the sound of instruments or, um, you know, I did have, I have, we haven't started full rehearsals with a band yet, but I did have one, uh, one day where I got some musicians together to play because I wasn't sure that I would be able to get through the show. And just having other musicians there was so, um, I mean, was so exciting, was so like literally magical uh, because that's how, that's how the experience of playing, you know, music for me, like I love writing songs, like don't get me wrong, I really love writing songs, but playing with other musicians and hearing different sounds blend together is really magical and exciting. So, you know, I don't know if it's just like the isolation of the pandemic that's done that or coming out of the, you know, having all of these neurological problems that's done that. I mean, probably a little bit of both. Interesting. Do they have any idea what caused the neurological problems or still no? You know, I think it's, I think it's at the bottom of it, it's stress. Because I think when you're really stressed, uh, you know, I've done a lot of research at this point into chronic pain. And apparently, like, when you're really stressed, your nervous system does become really reactive. And then it just, there's a snowball effect, you know, because when, because when you feel sick and hor you know, like, and horrible all the time, you're more, you know, you're obviously going to be more stressed. So it's very hard to, like, relax. And I have to say, it is not a fucking relaxing time. You know, there's, there's a lot to not be relaxed about. It's uh, like literally the world is on fucking fire when it's not underwater. Yeah, I mean, this is a, that's a fascinating thing too. And I've talked about this with so many artists during this time. And I mean, you know, you look at what happened in fucking Texas yesterday and, yeah. you know, uh, it, it's like as an artist, that's an interesting thing as well because I've talked about this with so many people. Where do you channel your energies? Because like you say, and I talked about this for the first year and a half that that orange piece of shit was elected and I don't refer to him by name. Yeah. Every single artist I spoke to, we discussed, you know, how writing and recording music during that time changed and was influenced. And, and one of the positive things was we saw such a new rise in activism and especially among younger artists. And it's interesting because I was talking about this with someone the other day. It didn't manifest necessarily in music. I adore Billie Eilish. I adore Taylor Swift. They're not writing protest songs, mm -hmm. but they also have hundreds of millions of followers on social media yeah. that they are using their voice for all the time. For you as an artist, 
how do you pick where to channel your energy where literally you can throw a dart anywhere in the world and you know whether it's afghan whether it's texas everything is fucked up right now so as an artist how do you channel your energies to try and use your voice to make things better I don't know. I mean, I, I honestly don't know. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's, I mean, I think I'm one of those people who will, you know, sometimes play a benefit or like, you know, like that kind of thing, uh, in a very, um, you know, unfocused way, you know, donate money. But like, I, I, it's like, I sort of don't really know how to, how to do that. And I, you know, I, I actually feel like with the, the Texas thing, I, I am, I'm tired, I'm tired of like having conversations about, can you believe that this happened? Or, you know, I mean, there's a million of those, like, can you believe this happened? And pointing out hypocrisies, like the, the Republicans said this thing, and now they're doing something that contradicts that, like, dude, no shit. And I, I think that the answer for me is to get into some kind of action. And, you know, I honestly don't know what that looks like, but, but to start with, to have, you know, a, a, a regular, a regular schedule of, you know, just whatever, uh, whatever phone calls or postcards or, you know, whatever do, you know, whatever it is, whatever possible thing to do, it, it helps to just do something. Well, that's why I asked specifically is because I've seen you do benefits in the past and you and I have talked about this in the past and I know that you've done several of them over the years and, you know, obviously you've been involved when you can be. And so that's why I ask is as an artist, it's so interesting because, you know, obviously you have a voice to be able to use in a way that, you know, I don't know how much anybody can make a dent, but at least can try and make a dent in it. Yeah. And it's hard when you're not naturally you know, a spokesperson, I don't, you know, I'm not a person who would like to, you know, get up in front of people and make a speech about an issue. I, I just don't have that skill set. I don't have the skill set to, to argue with people on Twitter. I don't, I don't have the skill set to, you know, to, to really write things on Twitter. I mean, like I'll retweet stuff. I don't really know what to say about it. So, you know, I, I feel bad. I don't have that skill set because at this point I would like to be, to be one of those people. Um, you know, so I just have to, you know, figure out like what I can, what I can do, uh, what that looks like. And I'm not sure yet. Yeah. Well, let's come on to the shows, which you say you weren't originally going to play. I mean, it's funny now. Now. Okay. So you said originally you couldn't even listen to the masters, but you did get together with a band. So have you started to be able to, to appreciate this record and, and, like, have you listened to it all the way through? Have you been able to go back and listen to it from start to finish now? I can't, I can't listen to it. It's still, uh, it's still distorted. I mean, I know that's not, that's crazy, but I can't, there's still, there's still some distortion. And honestly, like it's so, I kind of don't want to find out either, you know, like I don't want to put it on and then have it be super distorted because sometimes that will last all day. Like what, what happens is it's distorted, but it also kicks up a lot of, um, tinnitus so that can last all day and um you know which happens sometimes when i practice and some and sometimes i don't you know sometimes it doesn't happen um but that distortion is just so because it makes because like if i listen to it and the distortion is there it makes the record sound bad to me like it's very unpleasant um so i just haven't 
I just don't, I haven't listened to it. Wow. That is utterly fascinating to me because so it's because like, look, I'll talk with artists about this on the daily, right? Mm-hmm. Most artists never go back and listen to their own work. They can't stand listening to it. But usually when you do a tour or something like that, you'll at least go back. Or like, for example, a lot of artists had time to reflect during COVID and they'll do anniversary editions or things that they would haven't gone back and listened to in years. Mm-hmm. But so for you, well, first off, are you going to be playing new music on stage? Yeah. Okay. So how many songs from the new record are you doing? Do you know? Three. Okay. So this is fascinating as well. So in a sense, these songs are really are brand new to you. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I obviously listened to it when we were mixing, so it's not like I haven't heard it, but I haven't, you know, but I, but I, I really can't listen to the full mastered version in any real way. I mean, I certainly can't listen to to it from beginning to end. It's just too much. I, I don't, I don't know if I could, I could pro- maybe get through a song, but I don't. I don't know. And you know, I just don't want. I don't want to try because, like, it's very depressing. Like, it is depressing to. It's just better to kind of keep moving forward. Like, I if I listen to it and it sounds distorted and terrible, then it's going to really bum me out, right? So, it's kind of better to just stay away from it. Yeah, totally fair. So it's interesting then. I mean, for you. As you get set to, so have you rehearsed the three songs you're going to be doing yet? I'm just practicing on my own. We haven't started to rehearse as a band. Okay. So, but it's interesting for you because this is another thing too, right? When you play music live, obviously it changes. It morphs. The audience brings their own feelings into it. You respond off their feelings. The songs can extend. So like have the songs started. Well, first off, well, I mean, as a fan, I kind of don't want to know. But obviously, for the sake of the interview, I'm curious, what are the songs you're doing? Or are there songs that you are particularly just excited to do live, whether you do them yet, whether you're ready to do them yet or not, the ones that you really are excited to see how they're going to change live? Um, well, first of all, I'm, I'm only playing about 45 minutes because I'm opening for Rufus. So it's not like a long, which, you know, probably I wouldn't be able to play a really long show anyway at this point. But um, I'm playing a lot of songs from The Forgotten Arm. And I'm not sure why, but I think they just, they, they sort of, I mean, honestly, like a lot of the songs, most of the songs are really suiting the mood of, uh, <laughs> what a shitty, terrible, uh, year and a half it's been. And, and, uh, how everybody is sick and crazy, you know, like everybody feels either sick or crazy or both. Yeah. I mean that you know the isolation of the pandemic is 100% uh traumatic and I think it's it's a it's an invisible slow motion trauma uh but it's but it's a real thing. I think it I can see it in my friends. Like I could see how you know each friend just kind of is going nuts in their own, you know, in their own specific ways. Well, I mean, it's so interesting because obviously your perception or, or your, uh, I don't know, but your experience is different than anybody else's because obviously you had this other disease and it wasn't COVID related. So it's interesting for you. I mean, you know, and then it's, but you talk about this and right. And then we slowly emerge from it and then things come back. So I think that's been part of it too, is the roller coasters. You had a month or a month and a half, 
of uh, friend and I were talking about this yesterday of normalcy where yeah. you felt like things were going back and then Delta comes back and kicks your ass. So it's interesting for you. I mean, how has your perception of the idea of doing live shows and everything changed given that everything changed so quickly? So was it like, has there been a roller coaster of, yes, I can't wait to get back out there to do it seriously. Like this is back already. Well, you know, part of the, my feeling about getting back out there was, uh, I did not know if I, I did not know how sick I was going to be. And, you know, at the worst, I could never have been on stage, you know, because I, I was, I was dizzy. I like, I, it's hard to describe like the, the closest I could get to describing it was that it felt like concussion um, or like that feeling that you have, like if you, if you had like 10 shots of tequila the night before, and then you had to wake up at five in the morning, that's about, that's sort of like that kind of dizzy, nauseous feeling, like headachey, dizzy, where like you absolutely are incapacitated. So there's no way I would have, and also then all music sounded distorted. So like, I can't play show under this, <laughs> under those circumstances. Um, I hope you'll like impart that, like, look, that really sucked. I'm not going to lie to you. That was really terrible and a despairing time, but it's also, you know, I'm just like, you just got to, you know, move ahead with what you have. And, and I, if I had been that sick, I would have had to cancel the shows. And, you know, I think the, you know, that 10 seconds of, you can just, you can meet with your friends again, like definitely uh, helped with the stress because it's very, because it helps with stress for me to be around people. And uh, there's some other things that helped, but, uh, but um, that, that definitely helped. So I don't know. I don't even remember what the original question was. I got lost. Well, now since you, I want to take this in for, you know, look also, so you're hearing music, it's distorted. This brings up an interesting question as well. You know, it's like, look, for a lot of people I know who had COVID, you lose your sense of taste and smell, unfortunately. Yeah. And then after a minute, it comes back and it's like a renewed appreciation because the things that you couldn't taste or smell. Yeah. So for you as a fan, as you've been able to, as things have gotten better, what have been the songs from other people that you were most excited to listen to? Maybe those like standbys that you're like, okay, you start to think like, I can't listen to music. And it's like, shit, am I really never going to be able to hear God Only Knows again until, you know, and then you can't. So what were those songs for you? The only thing that I can listen to right now is Steely Dan. That's absolutely hilarious. Yeah, I know. And, and part of it is, I think, because there's, because there's a lot of space, uh, because, you know, like there, because it's groove based often, there's a lot of space and, um, Whereas my own music often is, well, like this record has a lot of strings. So strings are in that, in that, uh, in that uh, frequency range that re that's a real problem for me. Um, my own voice, you know, because fe female voices, same range. It's like an upper mid. And, uh, but Steely Dan, I can listen to um, because it's, it has more air. There's more air in it. But anything with like an acoustic guitar that goes all the way through, I can't because that's the same kind of, that's the same kind of range. All right. So, so 
I'll tell you why I said that was hilarious in a second. I absolutely love Steely Dan, one of my I favorite bands. I love Steely Dan. What were what were what are the, the go-to songs? Like the ones that, you know, if you can only listen to Steely Dan, what are the ones that you've been appreciating the most? I mean, I literally there's like literally kind of a, you know, like part part of this problem is it's a it's like a neuroplastic problem. So like as a neuroplastic rehab, I I was listening to Home at Last. Um, because it has, you know, dum, but do, do, you know, like it's because it has so much room in it. Uh, I, cause I think anything that's like really sustained high end, uh, or sustained, sustained upper mids is the problem. Um, but I also love that song. I mean, I love Steely Dan and, and to me, Steely Dan has an enormous amount of feeling that I feel like nobody ever gives them credit for. There's an enormous amount of feeling. I mean, the characters are, sad and pathetic and despairing and like drug addicts mostly uh, involved in these terrible dead end relationships. I mean, what's not to like? <laughs> well, it's funny that you say drug addicts is my favorite silly dance song of all time. I got to go back to Dr. Wu every time. Oh my God. It's the greatest. There's it so is, many songs that are my favorite. What's that? There's so many songs that are my favorite. The Boston rag is the, my current favorite. Yeah. That's interesting as well. It's so funny. The reason I say, okay, because my ex, who I'm still very, very, very dear friends with, hates Steely Dan with a passion. She would like, every time they would come on, it was just torture for her. And it was so funny because she's, she was like, no women ever like Steely Dan, ever. I mean, I 100% understand hating Steely Dan because there's a real misogynist attitude. But I feel like under that is... Uh, people have like serious damage. And then I always relate to that. Yeah. Let's come out of the literature portion of this for a second, by the way, because I also, I was an English major. So I love the fact that you actually referenced by name, Robert Lowell. And let's try that again in English, Robert Lowell and That's Sylvia Plath. I mean, it's funny as you're doing music for a book, were there authors that you started to think of, and maybe they had nothing to do with Girl Interrupted, but just authors that, you know, your their writing comes back to you. Well, the there's a scene in the book where where the main character, you know, first gets to McLean and uh, is kind of intrigued by the idea that Robert Lowell and Sylvia Plath both went to, you know, both both were denizens of of. Uh, of McLean and also and Anne Sexton and like the the album's title comes from Anne Sexton. I was actually surprised Anne Sexton wasn't mentioned in the book. Um, but you know when this this whole year because I couldn't you know I could I couldn't like talk on the phone because of the speaker noise and I couldn't look at my computer and I couldn't watch TV and I couldn't you know like scroll Twitter on my phone. Um, so I did a lot of reading and the writer I always come back to is Fitzgerald because his boy, the lusciousness of his sentences are just like, Oh, it's so, it's so like sensually, uh, satisfying. Um, he just puts words together in a way that nobody else does. That's fascinating. So, so now that you've had this experience, if you could go back and write music for one book, what would it be and why? Just as a fan. Like as a play? As like a play a or, or it, 
Matt well, from the National and I talked about this as well. It's interesting because, you know, he's heavily influenced by literature as well. And it's like, so, I mean, why can't books have soundtracks? For example, my favorite writer is Haruki Murakami, who's so influenced by music mm-hmm. and everything he does. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it doesn't necessarily need to be a play. It could also just be something that for you as a fan, you went and read through a book and decided to make your own soundtrack for it. Well, that's interesting. I mean, I think I would write, actually, there's a Fitzgerald story called uh, uh, Babylon Revisited that, that um, I, I had talked to, um, to, to some uh, playwright friend of mine about, about turning into a musical. I'm not entirely sure that it has a narrative structure that would make a good musical, but it's, you know, that's kind of not off the table. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll make these last couple of questions. But one, for this album, obviously, like you say, for these shows, you're opening for Rufus. But mm-hmm. at some point, hopefully the world opens back up. You'll get to tour for this. Are there thoughts of doing this out? Because this album is so lush and orchestral, will you be doing any orchestral shows for this record? I'm sure that at some point I will do a show that has uh, like a string quartet on stage for it. I don't know where when obviously that's not so easy to to arrange but I'm sure that that if the world opened back up and we went on tour um, I'm sure that there would be at least a handful of shows that we'd do that way all right so when you think of doing this album live and and you know doing it with a, a string quartet or whatever are there ones that you are particularly, this goes back to what I was asking earlier in regards to the Rufus shows, just particular songs that you're most excited to do live from Queens of the Summer Hotel and see how they expand and change and evolve. Yeah. I mean, the songs that I'm, I'm going to do suicide is murder and probably keep that pretty stripped down. Um, but the first song on the record is called you, you fall. And, uh, and I'm interested to see, because I'm playing acoustic guitar on that, and it does, it's not on the record, so I'm interested to see how that, how that changes. Cool. What do you want to add we didn't talk about, because we covered a lot of stuff? I don't know. I think that's, I think that's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You've had a very interesting year, so, you know, I'll be yeah. curious to see how all of this stuff changes for you live when you get to, and, you know, as you get better... And you can appreciate the record more. It's so fascinating to me. Like I remember talking with artists about right, Ludacris, yeah, the, well, the rapper, but we were talking about, for him, being in the movie Crash. And one mm-hmm. of the things that he particularly enjoyed was the fact that it was a series of vignettes. So when he saw the final film, even though he was in it, it was a surprise to him. So given all that you've gone through, in a way, I feel like this album is a little bit of a surprise to you, or will be, when you can yeah. go back and hear everything mastered. So, so... Is there one thing that for you is, it's funny, normally I'll wrap up by asking artists what they hear when they take from a record, when they listen to it all the way through. I'm more curious, is there one thing that you, when you can go back and listen to it as a mastered work and hear the whole thing, that you're most curious to hear? How it comes out based on the transition from how you heard it to being a completed work? Well, I think that because it was originally written uh, for a stage play, I'm interested to see how it sounds all the way through and reads you know, from one shifting mood to another, you know, like from one scene to another. Uh, that's, you know, but in order to do that, I have to be able to get through more than one, you know, one song or a half a song. So, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll see how it progresses. I think like, honestly, I'm just, 
I know that as soon as I get on stage with my musicians, I'm just, uh, and, and around other people, you know, like to see other people there. I feel like we've been, we've all been through a terrible experience. We're still going through it. And the only thing I really care about is connecting with people. That's like, that's in some way, like in whatever way. Yeah, cool. Well, I mean, it's funny. I can tell you haven't heard it all the way through as a master of work. It's an absolutely gorgeous record. So thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Well, always a pleasure to catch up with you. Thanks so much for your time. You're quite welcome. Take care. Have a good day. Hey, this is Steve Balton. You've been listening to My Turning Point with special guest Amy Mann. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.